and welcome to the Choose Love podcast. My name is Scarlett Lewis, and I'm the founder of the Jesse Lewis Choose Love movement. Our mission is to offer no-cost lifespan, next-generation social and emotional and character development programming that provides a direct path to finding meaning and purpose in our lives and leads us to flourishing. The Choose Love movement is now in over 10,000 schools across the country, homes and communities, and over 100 countries. So thank you for joining us. Today is a very special day because we have an amazing guest. Her name is Brooklyn Rainey, author of One Trusted Adult, How to Build Strong Connections and Healthy Boundaries with young people. <laughs> if you know me, you know why I resonated with this so strongly. Brooklyn is a speaker, consultant, facilitator, mom, educator, ice hockey goalie, or used to be at least, and more. Right. Uh, so Brooklyn, I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. I am thrilled. Ten, did you say 10,000 schools? Yes. Choose Love is in 10,000. Yes. Wow. Yes. Congratulations. Oh it's my incredible. gosh. It's amazing. It's just, uh, it, I'm just so grateful. Uh, anyway, this, this is an amazing concept that you have one trusted adult. And, and, mm -hmm. you know, I think that it resonated so much for me because I don't think I had that trusted adult. And yeah, yeah. I, when I look back, I can't think of a teacher that sticks out in my mind mm -hmm. or someone that I, I had a strong trusting relationship with. I, I really can't. I mean, I had parents. Mm -hmm. I love my parents. Uh, obviously I, yeah. I, I felt safe and trusted them. There was a divorce as mm -hmm. you know, in, in 50% of relationships there right. are. And then kind of that trust was broken. Well, I want to say it's really important to cultivate uh, mm -hmm. those relationships. I understand how vitally important mm -hmm. it is. And mm -hmm. I think it's really important that we understand as adults, we mm -hmm. are responsible for yes. our children's safety and well-being. Mm -hmm. And of course, I mean, you say, of course we are, it's, it, you know, our, right. our children, right. but right. our is kind of like the Royal we, I mean, yes. <laughs> we're responsible <laughs> yeah. for the safety and well-being of our children, of, of all mm -hmm. children. And mm -hmm. I think when we understand that it makes us take our role and look at the world in a different way. And Absolutely. that's what I did with your book. So you break the book into three parts. Building trust is part one. Part two is establishing boundaries. And mm -hmm. part three is creating culture. So I would like to follow the direction that you set in your book sure. and discuss each one with you. Great. And, Great. and what you said, Scarlett, is what I hear a lot of when I run, um, travel around doing trainings. There are a lot of educators that come up to me after a talk and say, I didn't have a trusted adult. Mm. And I, re I recall one moment with a principal who came up after training and said, I have never considered that. I've now worked in education for 25 years and I've never really looked back on my own educational experience beyond algebra or science or like, but like to the relationships. And I can't think of one person that I 
could say that I trusted or depended on or or that really knew me or cared for me. And then he looked at me and he was a little teary and said, do you think that's why I, I'm an educator? And I said, I can't really answer that question for you. I'm just getting to know you. Um, but what, like, as we define our why, as we define our motive for why we show up for young people, you have to look back. You have to understand your path. Who was there for you and what are you modeling? Just like parenting. We all are, you know, like either accepting or rejecting like the parenting that was for us and the parenting we give and and put forward. And so you've got to look back. And, and it's been a real joy, honestly, to ask educators to look back. I, I wish that I had read this book before I became a parent even. Mm. I mean, of course, you're a trusted adult to your kids. But I just right. think if I had read your book I would have been a better parent and it, and it made me a little teary eyed in, I mean, I was consistent with my boys and of course I love mm -hmm. them with all of my heart, but mm -hmm. I am not sure that I did the best job uh, building trust, establishing boundaries and creating that culture. I, we had a culture of love. I don't think we had great boundaries because I never had great boundaries. I was never given boundaries. Yeah. And so yeah. I don't think that I gave them to my boys and I, I know they trusted me. Um, mm -hmm. but anyway, it just made me think of everything in a different way, which is why if you looked at the picture that marketed this podcast, you saw my book and it was just completely filled with tabs, highlighting, yes. <laughs> yes. turning down pages, and now I have books. That made my heart explode. <laughs> if Scarlett Lewis is finding something in my work, uh, you know, there's there's something of value in here. So that's I thank you for that. It was I'm, great. I'm glad you found it. It was really great. That. Um, so one of my favorite quotes from from the book, I, I have to say, is "Growing pains and growing brains." When yes. speaking about adolescence, <laughs> and that's what mm -hmm. we're going to discuss today: how to manage yeah. the growing pains that will affect mm -hmm. growing brains for a life time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We get so hung up though on the specific risk or the specific behavior. I think as parents, as teachers, as any youth serving professional, we really focus on the vape pen, the cutting, the apathy, the talk back, mm -hmm. the specific behaviors. And we're like, what is causing that? Mm -hmm. You know, And we're not, and why I love Choose Love and your movement is, is the same thing. It's like, take it back, take it back, take it back, take it back, change a thought, change uh, a relationship, mm -hmm. change, like, instead of focusing on the issue, suicide prevention, the or issue. substance prevention, let's figure out on the positive side of things, what we can offer that's going to grow their skills and allow them some safety and space to face these issues with all the confidence in the world. And in my opinion, the best preventative and protective factor we can provide, a tangible thing that we can actually do is ensure that every child in our communities, in our home, in our schools has a trusted adult outside of their home. Because like, just like you say in changing the angry thought, like what can change that is a serve and return moment with a trusted adult. Like who's gonna change that thought? Like the, the individual can, but if they have an encounter with a trusting, caring, charismatic, wonderful adult who's invested in them and sees them, that's going to shift that thought. And let's 
let's be honest as parents. And I'm being honest here because I was just vulnerable Mm -hmm. about my parenting capabilities. (laughs) And parents do the best they can with the skills and tools that they have at that time. If Mm -hmm. they knew better, they would do better. And that's why it's so important Mm -hmm. to have a trusted adult outside the home as well. Because, and Mm -hmm. and even if you've got all the skills and tools in the world, it's Mm -hmm. always nice to have that help. And you say in your book, why trusted adults matter. The one common denominator in kids that are successful is that they have one trusted adult. And when they have one trusted adult, they're less likely to bully, be -hmm. depressed, have a whole host of other issues. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's important. Yes. There's multiple studies. Jack Shonkoff does incredible work at Harvard. There's a child trend study out of Maryland that talks about that internalized and externalized behavior and the improvements we see when there's a mentor-like relationship outside of the home. And then another study out of Australia that I found fascinating tied trusted adults to further, uh, sorry, in a young person's life to that young person growing up and greater um, financial stability and uh, more engagement in school for longer term, greater satisfaction with their employment, their family life. Um, There's some really interesting studies around this concept. That's amazing. Um, And you say our baseline duty as adults is just showing up for them. So it's not really about having necessarily even the skills and tools where you'll have them if you read your book, (laughs) but it's having the courage to be present with our kids Mm -hmm. where they are. And Mm -hmm. I have to tell you, Brooklyn, that I've had a hard time finding that person for JT, especially Mm -hmm. since the tragedy in his life. Really? Yes. I thought they would come out of from everywhere. (laughs) And and isn't that interesting? Because, and, and what I've learned is that there's so much fear associated being with kids that have issues. Mm. And, and with JT, it was having uh, his younger brother murdered and there weren't necessarily, you know, behaviors that he was engaging in that were troublesome. Mm. It was even having the courage just to be with him and to ask how he Mm. was doing. (laughs) And, uh, and so I think that that's a big factor that we need to acknowledge the The courage, the courage to step up to the plate Mm -hmm. and just be present. Because, you know, when I, when I asked the adults that, that I had thought would be there for him, they said, Ooh, well, we were, you know, we didn't ask him how he was doing because we were afraid we would remind him or, Mm -hmm. you know, we, what if he said he wasn't doing okay. And then we didn't have Mm -hmm. the skills and tools to be there for him. So Mm -hmm. I was shocked, frankly, um, because it's really not about having the skills and tools. It's just about having the willingness and the openness and the courage to be there. Shared, shared experience. Like in, in the interviews I did with adults about who their trusted adults were and how they knew to trust them and how they came to you know, want to spend time with them. So many of the answers were just, oh, well, they just invited me over to help paint a fence or mm. they needed my help baking pies mm. or they raking leaves, like the things that got named. I was like, these are just household chores. Like, what, what are you talking about? 
But that's what it was. It was saying to JT or any young person like, hey, I could really use your, use your help. Mm-hmm. And that hits a universal need for all of us, right? Ability to contribute. Absolutely. Somebody needs my help with something. And whether we talk about the huge elephant, like we talk about this tragedy or we don't, you're actually going to end up getting the same, you're meeting a need, right? And you're just being there and you're providing an opportunity for that young person to share or to speak, but you, you actually don't have to ask two pointed a questions. You can just paint the fence side by side and you're going to make an enormous difference. I love that because you're cultivating trust. Exactly. Yeah. Moment by moment. Mm-hmm. I love that. And, and I love how you give us lines that we can say, uh, like, this is your quote. It's my job as an adult in your life to care about your health, happiness, safety, and success. I am committed to this job and want to check in with you on all areas of your life. Mm-hmm. It's like even I, I I wish somebody would say that to me now. <laughs> Scarlett, I am here for your health, happiness, safety, and success. <laughs> if you need me, I am here. But no, you know how, so good. how good that would make you feel? Yeah. Yeah. I, I Because I've had trust. I have been so privileged and so lucky to have incredible from lifeguards and school secretaries to teachers and aunts and uncles. Like I run, like I've got the varsity team of trusted adults in my corner. Mm. I know the value and I know now how privileged I am to have had that um, and to maintain those connections with those people today. Uh, Yeah. I mean, there's so many assumptions that go around. I mean, as kids, I guess you assume that adults can be trusted, but you have to earn that trust. Mm -hmm. And just making that statement, it just just makes you feel good. And and then Mm -hmm. you look at that person. You know, I always talk about caring, caring and being present as as loving, because Mm -hmm. when you spend time, our time is so valuable and precious. And when you are present, not on your device, not watching TV, but literally looking at somebody Mm -hmm. in the eyes, Mm -hmm. being present, Mm -hmm. asking, how are you? And and that's, of course, a rhetorical question in our society. So ask it twice. How uh, fine. I'm fine. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Hey, how how, really, how are you? And then they know, okay, this person, it wasn't just polite. I actually, right. Yeah. Yeah, It's not just a hello. It's they actually care. And it's up to me whether I say something or not, but, but I walk away knowing that they were present and that they Mm -hmm. care and that, Mm -hmm. you know, that it it was up to me if I wanted to share or not. Yeah. And so back to the, the, the health, happiness, safety, and success and the why, right? This language, like so your why has got to roll off the tip of your tongue when you're working with a young person. I don't know if you as a parent have ever gotten the like, well, why do you care? You know, you're like, mm. can you tuck in your shirt or can we get your hair cut or let's <laughs> clean the room? Like, why do you even care? Mm. And to have your why ready, not as defense, not as like, because of this, <laughs> but <laughs> when, when we live our why, like if you go into a school and you ask educators, what's your why? Or you ask them, you know, what keeps you in your work with youth? It takes a minute. Because they're like, I don't know, lady, I've got, you know, this class and then this committee and then I've got this testing and I've got this whole bunch of stuff to do. What is my why? Why am I showing up every day? It takes a minute. But if you through a workshop or through journaling or whatever, you know, tool you use to get there to be able to articulate it, then you start to live it. Like you said, like having language gives us power 
and gives us strength and I think makes us stand up a little higher and you know chin up a little more and like I know why I'm here I know why I am choosing to be present for young people and I know the difference that I will make because I've seen it like five years from now 10 years from now 15 years from now I hear from these students I hear about the difference I've made and so helping educators and neighbors and grandparents and youth coaches all these people who show up for youth, helping them articulate their why I think gives them the courage that you're talking about to show up for young people without that fear of saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing or just fumbling. I love that because I think defining your why helps you set an intention Mm -hmm. and also reminds you of your purpose because we're all Mm -hmm. looking, what is my ultimate purpose in my life? What, you know, how do I find meaning? Uh, and, and, and that really is a guide to that when you stop and think how, how many times do we stop and think, uh, you know, definitively every day, not many, because we're so busy. Our list of to do's is so long. We're rushed, we're distracted, but stopping and thinking about your why that is really profound. Yeah. Yeah. And this, this all started for me, you know, I was an educator in uh, independent schools at a boarding school. As a dean of students, I remember sitting in the auditorium and we had, you know, another talk about substance abuse or sexual assault prevention, like some, one of the risks, right? One of the concerns. And almost all, like there was like three presentations in a row where somebody said, you know, and if you have concerns, if you're worried, uh, make sure you reach out to a trusted adult. Make sure you find a trusted adult. And I remember it just straight, like in the heart, like I, I kind of like looked around and I just felt this, like, do the adults in this room do, and me, do we see ourselves as trusted adults first mm. or am I a biology teacher first? Or am mm-hmm. I, um, you know, whatever the role is first, or am I a trusted adult first? Wow. And then do these students see us as accessible, present, trusted, approachable adults? And how, what can I do to, to bridge that? And first it was like figuring out, well, what is trust? And in listening to your work, it's so helped me like really land on this for myself, which I think trust is the perfect balance of love and limits. Mm. And I'm careful. I actually, I've been careful not to talk about love because I do so much boundary work. But when I listen to you and, and get back to the fundamentals of relationship and making change, it's like love, it's, it's love. And the David Brooks article that you quoted that I quoted, we learn from love. We learn through love. And so I call it trust, but I think trust is what is that balance of love and limit. Wow. That's profound. That's a tweetable moment. And I got ah, tweetable. <laughs> yeah. And I got that quote from your book. And I just shared it because it was profound for me. There were so many profound moments. I love that. I'm going to say it again. Trust is the perfect balance of love and limits. That resonates with me. And I think that too often we we don't use the word love because we liken it. We think that it's not appropriate. Um I even had one administrator from uh, a religious um, 
school system say that the word was corny, which was like, <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, that was the only person, by the way. <laughs> right. I used to say, wow, right. I have I have the perfect movement because nobody's going to come up to me and say choosing love. That's a really stupid idea. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, you're right. Except I was surprised <laughs> out of all of the administrators, I would le- have least likely thought that this person would say that but anyway Mm -hmm. um i and i think that there's so we have some reluctance around using that word when that is the thing that connects us all the Mm -hmm. want and need to love and be loved it's like the most important thing in our entire lives yet we see that word and we're reluctant to use it (laughs) right yeah yeah um, really important. So you also said, I loved this because I have chickens and, uh, you talked about baby birds are born uh, with a tooth in their beak that helps them break out of their shell. And, you know, we do want to pave the way for our kids. There are lawn, is it, um, lawnmower parents? Oh yeah. I've heard it. The helicopter, helicopter, snow blower in New Hampshire. It's definitely snow blower. I like that too. (laughs) Right. And, uh, you know, and, and I feel like after our tragedy, I'm even more like that. If I see, if I see pain for my son, I just want to, I just want to stand in front of him with my hands up, you know, just like, you got to go through me before you get to him. And yeah, um, it's my instincts as a mother, but at the same time, I know personally that we are shaped and molded by the challenges that arise. And then we're strengthened when we move through them and figure it out ourselves. And you know, I, I, I love that analogy that you gave with the little yeah. bird and I've heard it with the butterfly mm-hmm. too. If, if you cut yes. them out of the chrysalis, then they haven't built the strength to fly. Yes. Yes. That, I mean, I always go back to the animals. The animals will tell us. Yes. <laughs> the, it's true. The, That's the, woods will, the woods will tell us. Yeah. Um, and on the Dean of student side, on the teacher side of things, it was very easy for me to say like, oh, that parent is just trying to run out ahead of their child and move every obstacle. And that child is never going to grow up or ever figure out the skills or never going to learn. Very easy as the educator to watch a parent, you know, do wrong and really by trying to do good and love their child mm-hmm. sort of hurt their child. Mm-hmm. And then in as a mom, you know that I'm falling in that same trap. Like, even mm-hmm. though I write it and I say it. <laughs> Thank you for I that. That makes me feel better. <laughs> it. Oh, please. You ask my son if I'm a parenting expert. He'll let you know. <laughs> I am not. I am not. Um, so I have to remind myself constantly, like, this pain, this, like, mm. struggle, this social anxiety he's feeling or this thing he's feeling, like, I have to get out of the way. I cannot save him from this. And that, the baby bird, just, like, imagine that. As a mama bird, you're watching him just, like, peck and peck and peck to get out of that shell and like all you want to do as the adult mama is like break it open welcome to the world I'm going to help you it's like nope if that baby bird same as a butterfly (sighs) does not work its way out of that shell it will never fly the nest it will not have the neck strength and the arm strength and all the things it needs and we have to allow young people to build those muscles so they can fly too. And, and then that leads directly into another quote in your book, within every wrongdoing is a teachable moment. And the focus being on the lessons learned and Mm -hmm. less on, uh, you know, leading them 
I mean, we, we can guide them through it, but we allow them to make choices. Yeah. We, we're set up to have all these like contrived consequences and, and I'm a believer in the handbook. Trust me, we need, we need common understanding of the rules and there's going to be consequences for the rules, but often it's like, we're taking away your device. You're grounded. We, you know, there's all these like, and that becomes the focus instead of the natural consequences of behavior that lead to, you know, hurt relationships, broken trust, uh, hurt feelings, lower self-esteem. Like we forget to focus on the real reason why the rule was there in the first place. Mm -hmm. And I say that for schools and I say that for homes. I mean, I do it as a parent and I screw up and, you know, it becomes all about the phone or the phone, the screen Mm -hmm. time or whatever the thing is, right? right? Taking away and not about like your brain, your development, your relationships. We want you here. We want you present. We forget why we have set those rules (laughs) and we forget to talk about the why. why. Yeah. Here comes the why again. That's so good. And you also say, like, I, I loved throughout the book when you would give us what we can say so that we don't have to, okay, there's the, the, uh, the concept, but how do I incorporate it into my life? You helped us with that. One of the things that you prompted us to say is, is there something you need me to do or do you just want me to listen? And when, you know, and yeah. I, and I loved that because there's so many times that, I would see JT being upset about something and I would just want to step in. Right. And, and I, and this, Mm -hmm. this was really good for me. I'm going to actually write it on my forehead. (laughs) Is there something you need me to do or do you just want me to listen? I love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, why do we guess? Why do we, we're always guessing instead of asking, we're like, what should we do? Yeah. 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 We're guessing and assuming instead of just asking. That's tweetable, I think, Scarlett. That sounds tweetable. Yeah, it's a, another um, tweetable moment. So many, so many tweetable yeah. moments. And and you also say it's okay not to have the answers, but it's not mm-hmm. okay to ask the questions. Mm-hmm. And to not ask the questions. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. important to ask those. Oh, I'm sorry. It's not okay to not ask the questions. Right. Yes. It's okay to yeah. not have the answers, but it's not okay mm-hmm. to not ask the questions, which is really yeah. good. And yeah. the kids will get their needs met. This is another quote. The kids will get mm-hmm. their needs met with or without us in positive yeah. or negative ways. Mm-hmm. And that's my friend, Shantara McBride, an incredible speaker and author. Um, she's taught me so much. She's a partner of mine uh, in running the girls leadership camp. And she's the one, she stands up um, at our opening meeting and she talks to the parents directly. And she's the one that actually said that quote of, you know, do you need my help is there something I can do or do you just want me to listen Mm. and I have witnessed the number of dads Mm. that end up teary teary and Mm. go up to her or me after and they're like I needed to hear that so bad because when my little girl is crying I want to get on my horse and put my helmet on Mm. and grab my sword and go out and just slay the world like anybody who is hurting her I want to destroy and she doesn't want that she doesn't want me to do that right she's embarrassed by right she does not want me to get involved And so when I say, you just want me to listen, like that is, that's hard. It is hard to just listen, but that is all they need. And most important, sit beside them. Don't sit in front of them. Like when we go eye to eye Mm. with a young person, the discomfort, the discomfort, you know, that feeling it's got to be side by side in the car. You got to be side by side 
um, doing a puzzle, like whatever the thing is side by side, you're going to get so much. Further. Oh my God. That's huge. And I think about the most profound talks that I've had with JT have been in the car driving him to school and we're side by side eyes ahead Mm -hmm. and that really seems to be the time when he would open up to me and that's so amazing you're right yeah yeah you know what we I have the same car moments man we (laughs) yesterday talk oh election my Uh, son loves to bait me uh, loves to bait me (laughs) and he We'll just lob out a fact or something he think, and I was like, "You really think that would?" Yeah. And I get all heated. <laughs> and last night we were debriefing it at the table, my because I, you know, call my husband. And I'm like, "He just said this thing, and he said it with such like confidence, but I need him to understand, like he's got to, you know, there's different opinions and there's projections, and he can't make sweeping statements." And I, and I like, and Billy's like, "Take a breath, my husband. Take a breath. Like, let's talk about it tonight." And the the lesson not being political or opinion it's just like on information Uh right uh like filtering information understanding where it's coming from Uh and we sit down last night and we're talking to him and he had this little smirk on his face and he's like well I went into school and because I kept saying I'm so worried you're going to go into school and say something like you said to me in the car and really just upset someone or give somebody misinformation or you know I just want to make sure that you're you're navigating your peers and your teachers in a polite way that you know it's about people's dignity and he looks at me, he's like, oh, well, by the time I got to school, like I went in and then, you know, I, I was saying what, what you were saying. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, I just flipped sides. And I'm like, oh, yeah. oh. so you fight, fight me in the car on one side and then you go into the school and you flip from the other side. And it's not about him. I mean, they're trying on so many identities, right? right? And they're serving and returning to figure out like what sticks, what lights a fire, what feels good. what. <laughs> and it was... I, I wasted so much time and energy in a car moment that I should have been listening and I was listening and I started to push back, which I think we need to do too. Um, but the debrief conversation later to go back and then just ask questions, like I didn't need to teach him anything, tell him anything. I just needed to open up with a question, sit beside him and listen. And what I found out was he's a, such a typical adolescent, like feeling it all out right now, trying it all out, pushing in every direction to see to see what lever gets pulled or spring goes off or bell goes off like he's he's just testing and trying oh absolutely all the time i love the so establishing boundaries so important and by the way i learned so much because i mentioned it i really wasn't given boundaries as Mm -hmm. a young person so i was not good at giving them to my kids either still in my own life i struggle with having boundaries And your definition is, is really great. A declaration of expectations and an agreed upon way to work together. I loved that. And then you said, there is no true trust if there are no boundaries. Right. And I, I have to credit Brene Brown. I mean, most of my boundary work and understanding comes from her incredible research. Mm -hmm. And, and she says, big, uh, B I G what boundaries need to be in place for me to live in my integrity and make the most generous assumptions about you. Mm. And to me, I talked to a, a, a school counselor the other day who said it's freedom. Like boundaries are freedom. When you know where the wall is, like your back's against the wall. And then you look out, like, then, you know, the playing ground, you know, the game, you know, the field, like, you know, where it's safe and it's allowed to play. And I, actually saw mm. a video. I don't know if you've ever seen the, uh, the mama elephants video, No, but I can send it. Maybe we can send it out to your listeners. Oh, we will. Um, but they're uh, survival brain and learning brain. And they talk about 
back to the animals. Didn't we talk about animals? Yes, already, but of course. <laughs> I, I love animals. Animals. <laughs> <laughs> the mama elephants come together with their baby elephants and like playtime happens when all the mama elephants get together and create a safe circle. Mm. So physically create this boundary of in here, baby elephants, this is where it's safe to play. Cause we, as a team of moms are all going to look out and take care of you and provide you with this sense of boundary, which provides you with a sense of safety and, and freedom to be you within this space. And I love that because I think that's what schools can do for young people. Wow. I, I love that too. And you say a trusted adult makes a child feel safe. Yeah. And every one of our relationships, spousal relationships, sibling relationship, friendship, it is all about a simultaneous layering of you give a little trust and you layer a boundary and then there's a little more trust. And then that comes with a new boundary. Like it's, it's this constant evolution. Our relationships shift and change as we get to know each other and trust each other more. The boundaries will change, but there's still shared expectation and they need to be communicated. Oh, so important. And, and as I said in the first podcast, I love in your book, how you give us what we can be saying. So you don't just give us the concept, but you give us something to say as well. And here's your quote, as an adult in your life, I hope you know it's my job to care about your health, happiness, and success. And I, that's, that's something that I wish somebody would say to me, <laughs> but I can see the value in uh, absolutely having kids hear that from their trusted adults. So important. Yeah. And even just saying like, I hope you see me as someone you can trust. And with that trust comes these boundaries. I mean, expressing it, we've like you've mentioned before, we get into assuming uh, and feeling and acting on, you know, the narrative we're writing in our head without speaking out loud. What is this relationship? What's it for? How can it help me? And how do I respect it? And, and you also say, even if youth resist the rules, they crave consistency, predictability, and clarity. Yeah. They want to know where the line is so they can dance on it. Right. And, and we did it. You did it. I did it. Oh, right. I, did. We I, I don't like think we... that I found a line. That's why I kept going, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, that's, that's a hundred percent. Right. And I tell stories just like that. If there's no line, they'll, they'll keep going until someone pays attention. And it's either going to be a parent, a teacher or law enforcement. Like they're, they're going to look for that line. Yeah. I, I didn't get to that point, but yes. Yeah. I can see that. And, and, mm -hmm. and the, the need for us uh, or for us to have kids understand that boundaries are not punishment. They're actually safety. Yes. Yeah. And there's, there's too loose, there's too rigid and there's just right. So we're back to porridge right we, there if it's if you overtrust, um you've loosened boundaries you're going to get into this oversharing unhealthy relationship that is not especially in when you're in a professional capacity like an educator or um like a paid mentor you know all those roles that are more formalized um it can get loose and it can lead you know we've seen abuse and exploitation of young people mm -hmm. Absolutely. But we also, we also see burnout. So those loose boundaries can also show up as savior syndrome. Like I, and I am a, I am recovering every day from being that savior in the life of adolescents and young people. Like I want to protect them all. Mm -hmm. I want to save them all. Mm -hmm. I want to help them all. What does that do to me? It sinks me. And then I can't do this for the long haul. So my mission in life 
is to ensure that every child on this planet has a trusted adult mm. and that those trusted adults have the skills and the tools to be in it for the long haul. That they see boundaries as a way for protecting youth, but also boundaries for protecting you as an educator, protecting your health, wellness, your care, your balance, your life. Like you, we need you in it for the long haul. That's a great point. Cause you said at one point during a previous conversation we had that, you know, it's not enough to teach kids. Well, if you see something, say something, who are they going to say that something to? Exactly. It, it, it has to be <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> a, a trusted adult yes. Uh, yes. because, you know, there's this phenomenon that uh, in schools that these kids know what's happening. They, and I'm talking about even plans for school shootings Mm-hmm. Yet mm-hmm. they don't come forward to right. tell adults. And, and it's because there hasn't been that established trust built. There isn't yep. a relationship. They don't know who to go to. Right. Who do this they is tell? why I think this is the big, biggest preventative <laughs> factor for school shootings, for suicides, for all of these things. Absolutely. I really think we, yes. Absolutely. Wow. Um, And then also, of course, you're going to have conflict in your life, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. And and it's going to come up for your child and for yourself. I mean, I'm reading Mm -hmm. this uh, for kids, but also for myself as well. Oh, yeah. And Mm -hmm. uh, I I love what you said. I'm going to read this part of the book. In any conflict, we have the opportunity to pour gasoline on the spark and really light it up. We also have the opportunity to grab the fire extinguisher and work to put that flame out. Use the shoulder test. You said if there's one thing you remember from this book in every interaction you have with a young person, imagine your supervisor sitting and observing you from your right shoulder and the parents of the child doing the same on your left shoulder. If these figures would approve of your actions, your words, your tone, intention, you are most likely acting within the health and clear boundaries of your role. They if they would pause or question, so should you. Yep. Mm. <laughs> so I have a fire extinguisher moment um, that I tell about a student, an adolescent. I taught an acting class, but I was also the dean of students. And it got tricky because there were some disciplinary moments when, sc- when students had to be suspended or were dismissed from school. And absolutely, I would be seen as, you know, the horrible person that had to do that thing. Um, and so students wouldn't be happy with my decisions, even though it was a committee of decisions. I was just the face of that. And so I remember teaching an acting class and we had this awesome class and I'm walking out and a student of mine who I adored, like really thought I had a great connection with, I hear, I thought I heard my name and I turn around as I'm leaving the auditorium <laughs> and there is this student giving me a big old middle finger, right. like flipping the bird right at me. And I'm looking at her like, and we just were both like eyes wide open, like, oh, what happens now? And I wanted to pick up the can of gasoline and just light oh, it yeah. up Oh yeah, because there was an audience, people were watching, like people were seeing this disrespect of of me and it felt so personal Mm. it felt so i'm human right it felt so personal and i just looked at her and she looked back at me and i was like fire extinguisher fire extinguisher fire extinguisher and i took a breath and i just turned and i walked out and where did i go directly to the office of another trusted adult of hers like someone an, an adult i knew had her ear and that she trusted and i just said 
here's what happened. I don't know what to do. I'm like, and I'm the person who's supposed to be, you know, the navigator of conflict for everyone else. But here I am in this moment. And he said, okay, all right, let's, mm. let's do this together. Let's go get her. I'll go get her. Let's go get, let's just sit down and talk it through. And handing the reins over to another adult in that moment. Like I, when two people are in conflict, I don't think we're going to find our way out. But when we can find someone else that we can both agree upon will help us like uh, talk it through, make sure each voice is heard. He magically worked through this situation with us where we each got to share sort of our feelings, our reactions. At the bottom of it was this gross miscommunication and information that had spread like wild that was not true. And we got to get to the bottom of it. What I could share with her became clear. It wasn't like a hug it out, we're all good and let's move on. I mean, there was repair, right? There was time there that had to build back. But um, that young woman works at my summer camp now. She's off to college. She's crushing it. And we remain in touch. And we have this like horrible thing that <laughs> really is what brought us together because of the beautiful navigation of a colleague of mine. And you didn't just walk away from her. You, you cared mm-hmm. enough to work through it. And yeah. that... W- continued to establish the trust with you both. That's a beautiful story. And I love to sprinkle the book with stories to mm-hmm. kind of provide examples for what you're saying and it brings them to life. So thank you for that. All right, let's move mm-hmm. on to creating culture, creating culture, because another, you know, it's, I talk about school safety and of course, because of our negative bias, our, proclivity to to focus on the negative and be reactive we've talked about this Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. we we generally you know if you look at the pathway to violence we're going to focus on all of these these external safety measures but the thing is the schools have those now and there's still violence Mm -hmm. so what mm-hmm. we're realizing is that the most important part of school safety is creating a loving, kind, caring, compassionate culture. And, yes. and if you have that, and, and that includes having one trusted adult, then mm-hmm. you can prevent and precede a grievance from happening. And then even if one does, you can manage it before it escalates into an attack. And that's so important. And you define culture as a set of living relationships working towards a shared goal. It's not something you are. It's something you do. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, Daniel Coyle from The Culture Code. Incredible. Oh, my God. That that Mm -hmm. was so Mm -hmm. incredible. Um, and, And you say when a plant does not thrive. We don't Mm -hmm. blame the seed. We look to the environment and surrounding to understand what went wrong. And I think too often we use that negative bias that we have, that reactive and defensive part of us to just focus on the issues as they arise. I mean, there's so many fires, right? And, and, and we, we really don't even have the resources to, to try to put out the fires, let alone address the cause. But mm-hmm. unless we address the cause, we're never going to get ahead of these problems. And that is yeah. those problems uh, stem from the environment and, yeah. uh, you know, understanding what's going on in the environment, correcting that, mm-hmm. and that will correct the issues. 
and yeah. so part of doing that, you say, is practicing feedback. Ah, yes, yes. I think if one, there's one thing school administrators and, and teachers can you know, push up the ladder, it's like, we need to evaluate what do we celebrate in the employees in this building? What do we evaluate? And then on what, what do we develop? in them? What, how do we educate them? You can, you can learn a lot about a school when you look at like what the professional development has been. And if it's been all technology training or if it's been mm. all curriculum training, like what are they choosing? Because those PD days are, you know, they're spread out and they're expensive. Like what, where are you putting your resources to develop in your faculty? Um, so with celebration, like are, are we celebrating test scores? Are we celebrating team wins? Or are we celebrating that you know, this many people believe that this teacher is a trusted adult. When we evaluate, what are you evaluating teachers beyond their test scores and their content? So similar thing, like celebration evaluation, and then what we develop. And uh, one trusted adult training is one thing, but I think the bigger answer, like I want to ensure every child has a trusted adult, but what's better than that is many trusted adults mm. that a young young person could walk down the hallway and see three people mm. adults that they trust and know they could go to if there was something wrong or there was something to report and those adults getting along those adults having mm. the same vision those adults having different interests different ideas different experience like different things to offer a young person but being on the same page about why we're here and what we deliver and what we create as a culture that is enormous. And they, and young people will feel that there's this huge wraparound hug all the way around them. Like in every direction, they're going to hear similar messaging and similar values. I think that's much more likely to happen when there's a focused intention on cultivating those trusted adults. Yes. Yeah. And, and to your point of feedback, sorry, I missed the um, feedback to me is, is it's really just, conversation training and it's accountability training and I use feedback one as um we talk about the ouch thank you model, I have that written down really, I love yeah. it <laughs> I train educators or I ask educators and facilitate this exercise where they come up with feedback contracts for their department and for their school so I as a member of this school will agree to give feedback in this way it will be timely it will be truthful um, I will work to build a relationship with someone before the time that I want to give them feedback. Like they come up with their own agreed upon list and then not just how to give it, but how to receive it. As a member of this team, I'm going to agree to receiving feedback in this way. I'm going to give it 24 hours. I'm going to let it sit with me. And this is all training. We need, we all need this training. I talk about it in school settings because I think that it's when you, we have, again, those agreed upon expectations, whether you call them boundaries or trust or just a set of guidelines, code of conduct, whatever it is, when we agree upon it ahead of time, then we've got it to rely on in those fiery moments that you're talking about. And can I read what your teachers came up with in one instance from your book? Yes, yes, uh, yes. So they came up with, I, as a member of this team, will give feedback in the following way, often, timely, positively, objectively, face-to-face, -face, privately, providing examples, I, as a member of this team, will receive feedback in the following way, calmly asking questions, go back to that person, reflect for 24 hours, practice, ouch, thank you. And I thought it was so interesting. And I completely agree 
when you talk with people and you say kind of what's it like to give feedback and, and it's all good and, and warm and, and touchy feely. And then what's it like to receive feedback? Ooh, it's painful. Ooh. It's not comfortable. Yes. <laughs> and, that, yes. and that really it isn't. with me. <laughs> unless you can trust, unless you can trust that the person is someone who's invested in your improvement. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's still going to sting. That's why it's an ouch, but it's also a thank you because someone's taking the time, the care to provide me some advice, some improvement. If we keep ourselves, if we are radically open-minded, if we are radically open to the idea that we can improve, which every single one of Absolutely. us can, then we should be looking for advice, trusted mentors. And you know how much trusted. courage that courage that takes to give oh. and receive feedback. Yes. Yes. But this, and this was born out of multiple schools where there had been a violation a teacher had blurred a boundary broke down a boundary there was either abuse or close to abuse or just a relationship that did not feel right between uh, a teacher and a student when you talk to people afterwards what you will hear is people say yeah I just something didn't feel right there yeah I knew something was going on and I stare at these people and say why didn't you say anything Mm. why didn't you do anything for protection of that child and for the assistance of that adult. That adult is in need of something. Mental health services, a friend, mm. maybe there's, you don't know what's going on right. behind all right. that. And if people had these tools for giving and receiving feedback, I think we'd be better able to hold each other accountable to avoid boundary breakdown, but also to uphold our commitment to being trusted adults. And so here's how you say in the book to provide feedback to a colleague. This was really good for me because I'm constantly providing feedback and then I'm constantly asking for it. Um, Mm -hmm. So my truth and what I'm observing is this. Then the next thing you say is the reason for my timing with this feedback is... And then I hope that you can trust I brought this to you because I thought that was really amazing. Truth, timeliness, trust. And I I continue to try and practice and work through this every Mm -hmm. day, every Mm -hmm. day, every day. I'm no expert of it. I think I have the language and I have the idea and I know when it has worked best for me and I've had other people practice this with me and give me their feedback and it works when mm-hmm. we use it. It's really good. And I think that we can never uh, overemphasize modeling and, and how much we learn from that. And, and, yes. and that the fact that we as adults are modeling for our young people mm-hmm. and each other every day, all day long. And you mentioned some of the belonging cues. We, we all want to belong and have safe connections. And that's kids and adults. And I think that too often we, we rely on just our words, but words are only 40% of our communication. And so I, I loved when you provided this list, proximity, eye contact, energy. Energy is, is not often thought of, but it's so important mimicry, turn-taking, attention, body language, vocal pitch, consistency of emphasis, 
uh, and whether everyone talks to everyone else in the group. It's, you know, so, so important. That's, that's, you're talking about successful groups, but I think that that's so important also to remember that we're teaching and guiding and modeling and everything that not just we say, but we do as well. And they have to match in order for us to provide consistency and in order for us to elicit that trust. Just really important to understand that we're modeling for for our kids yeah. and each other in everything always. that we do. Always, always. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I wanted to kind of wrap up with the story that you tell at the end of your book about the rock. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's a perfect one um, to wrap up with sort of the vision and where we head. And um, I cycled for a summer in the off season of hockey and had this awesome coach who took me out on the road, taught me how um, I got a road bike and the whole get up and was training for this big ride for MS. And we were driving, we're, we're biking down the road and up ahead, there was this big rock. And he said, all right, we're approaching this rock. You know, as we get there, if you don't want to hit it, what are you going to look at? And I said, the rock? And he said, no, you idiot. Said the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> if you look at the rock, you're going to hit the rock. If you look at the path you want to take, you're going to hit the path you want to take. And I have held on to that story forever because it comes true in every aspect of my life and especially in culture building. We have to say it to become it. We've got to find the language, use the language repeatedly um, to live into that language. And so whether you're a principal overseeing a school superintendent or a teacher in a classroom or you're a support person working with one student, like what is your vision and articulate it, tell the people in your care the vision repeatedly where you're headed and who you want to be and i think connecting back to your incredible message and the work you do at choose love you said in one of your talks all of the nurturing healing love we send out comes back and i couldn't agree more and i think i say it in the book like if we put out fairness if we put out predictability if we put out trust if we put out boundaries it all comes back and right back to your modeling and culture you're on it. And um, I hope there's a lot of trusted adults out there and I hope they are choosing love every day. Absolutely. So is there any more final wisdom for our listeners before we wrap up? And I hope they all go buy your book, One Trusted Adult, because it's amazing. Absolutely. I think that if trust is the perfect balance of love and limits, then to learn through love, we, we have to learn to love ourselves and to teach through love we have to teach others to love. Yes. You need to have that one trusted adult that teaches you to love. So you can learn that, mm-hmm. learn to choose it in your life. It's just profound. Brooklyn, thank you so much for joining us. And I, I know that. So grateful for this opportunity. Thank you. Oh, it's amazing. Uh, you're like my soul sister. Absolutely. I appreciate you so much. And we're going to be working together in the future, partnering on many projects. So I hope that our audience looks out for that and uh, we'll continue to get your message out. It's so important. And I just want to thank you from the top to the bottom of my heart for everything (laughs) that you do every day to make this a safer, more peaceful and loving world. And thank you for choosing love. 
right back at you. Thank you, Scarlett. (laughs) Thanks, everyone. And we'll see you next time. It's all part of us. We can all choose love. It'll lift you up if you live.